today we're covering a topic that I think is is really really important, uh, particularly for men in our country, and it's the topic of mental health. And when you look at the raw statistics on mental health in Australia, guys, it's 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 really really concerning uh, how how prevalent mental health and the instance of mental health is. And I've got some raw data here for you guys. So in 2021, 5.5 million people in Australia, which is approaching 25% of our population, indicated that they had some form of mental health or behavioural condition. That's up from 18% in 2014, 2015. Around 15% of those reported an anxiety condition, which was up from 11%. 12 to 13% of those people expressed that they had feelings of depression or had actually had depression. Now, when we look at, I guess, the worst case scenario in in mental health, we're talking about suicide. And I think really a really confronting statistic for me and this was part of the reason I got into the field that I that I now have, is that people aged 15 to 44, suicide is actually the leading cause of death in our country. Yeah. Now, in 2020, there was nearly 3,200 people who committed suicide in Australia. Now, a really confronting figure here is that of those 3,200, 2,384 of those were men. And I, I, I just find that absolutely astronomical, guys, that, you know, nearly 75% of the, the lives taken through suicide were men. And I think we're in a really unique position here with our podcast to confront some of these challenging issues. Um, and, you know, I think that particularly given what we've been through in the last two and a half years, uh, going through COVID, coming together as a group, really expanding our mateship and our tribe and assisting each other through some really difficult times. I think we're in a position to talk openly about our experiences and also often offer our listeners some protective factors or some options uh, that they can antiquate or they can, you know, roll into their own lives to assist them with, with, with navigating the stress of life uh, in a more in a more harmonious way. So, I think we're we're going to talk about something really important today. Um, I'm excited to do it, and and I know you guys are uh, uh, you know equally as motivated. Yeah, good call, Mick. And as you mentioned, there are a few stats based around men's health, men's mental health, and and we, you know we're four blokes talking, but. For any females listening out there, it's imperative for them to get some sort of understanding from a bloke's um, perspective. Now, there might be mums out there with young adolescent boys, obviously some pe- women out there married or you know, even with boyfriends, just to have some sort of understanding of how blokes click, you know, uh, or tick, sorry. Definitely. Yeah, might might even help them, you know. So if you're a female listener to, listening to this podcast, then you know, it's not just about men's health. You can sort of relate this to your own life, um, and and we'll try to we'll try to compare it and stay to our theme about ancestral man and and how 
things are different in in modern modern day life because you know we're faced with so many different impacts on on our mind and our well-being now that ancestral man wouldn't have even contemplated completely different lifestyle at the moment isn't it to what we what we evolved to do yeah and and, and you mentioned um sorry mate um Mick mentioned some some stats there uh, and loneliness was one word that struck out and in a bit of reading that I've been doing over the last couple of couple of months the loneliness factor in society seems to be a big issue on the the downward slide to depression to to the point where in the UK in 2017 I think the prime minister then was Theresa May she declared a loneliness epidemic in the UK and I, I, when I found that out I thought wow that is that's astonishing, a loneliness epidemic. I mean, here we are talking about COVID pandemics and stuff like that. But back in 2017, the UK Prime Minister felt it necessary to deem an epidemic in loneliness to the point that she appointed a, um, a, lo- a minister for loneliness. Wow. So the UK now has a minister for loneliness and a minister f- for care. And these people are responsible for, obviously, responsible for funding that goes towards mental health in the UK to, towards um, in, integrating people back into society or to community groups, especially older older people, who they reckon. That, I mean, there's a stat somewhere that said, um, you know, a, a great percentage of older people haven't spoken to a close family member or had a discussion with a family member for a month. You know, and that, that made me thinking. I mean, I haven't spoken to my old man for a while. You know, and he lives down in the bush on his own, and you know, that that sort of Loneliness and isolation, at least here in the UK, is, is being addressed and acknowledged. Uh, there was a, a 2018 uh, survey in the US, uh, if anyone wanted to look at it, it's by a, a group called Cigna, C-I-G-N-A. And they reported nearly half of adults, this is in the US, reported being alone. So half of the population reported feeling a sense of loneliness. And 40% said their relationships were, were meaningless. And, and they felt isolated. 40% of adults. That's a massive, a massive amount of people. We, we seem to have gone away from this um, personal connection to more online interaction. And I think that's created a lack of social bond contributing to loneliness. It's amazing, isn't it? Because we live in a world now where we're more connected and more able to access each other than, than ever before. We've got phones, we've got computers... We've got cars, we've got aeroplanes. There's really, there's almost no barrier to catching up with a family member or a friend anywhere at any time. And it's to our detriment, I think. Like now we're contactable 24-7. I can text someone 11.30 at night, midnight if I want to, and we could have a text conversation. And yet still we're going down this path of being more, more lonely and more disconnected. Yeah. And I think the thing is that, we've touched on it before, and I think you might have just said it just now, is that electronic socialisation is in no way the same as physically catching up with someone and spending time with them and, and being yep. in their presence. Yeah. And and we've sort of replaced it with that because life's busy, we're all off doing things. Most families now, both partners would have a job. We're looking after kids. We're, we're doing all these things. We're, we're always trying to progress and do more. And it's it's taking away from our chance to actually just have the, the breathing space and the time to, to socialise even to do things like play sport or even just have a day where we're not doing too much and you just have some friends over and socialise and, and have a barbecue or whatever. I don't, think, I don't think we have the time and I think we're trying to, 
we're trying to substitute these uh, text messages and chat groups and social media platforms and it's no substitute. Yeah, it's totally agree, mate. Yep. And, and I just enjoyed um, a Saturday night with a mate and his wife and, and my wife, he invited us for dinner and yeah, just a, a simple barbecue, a couple of beers and a good chat and a catch up and that's all it takes, you know. And I guess we'll get onto the, these sort of things, ways that we can sort of look at mental health and, and, and work on it and, and, and sort of not solve it because it's such a complex issue, but have some strategies in place to help deal with it. But why don't we first look at a number of these things that have caused the, the high rise in depression, loneliness, mental health. Sure. Can I jump in there? So Smithy was just talking about the 24-hour contact that we have now with mobile phones. Don't get me wrong, in a modern context, mobile phones are great. We can, you know, call people up. There was an article in the Sunday Times this weekend, actually, just gone, depending on when this podcast comes out. But it was about how police officers or the, the, the police officers union has asked for dispensation from the police department to allow policemen to turn off their phones after they go home from work. So that these poor people, police officers, are dealing with what they have to deal with throughout the day and they're getting phone calls and text messages during their time off work. And I know it probably happens to a lot of people that work because of the accessibility that we have these days, but the police union are now looking at a clause to put in their enterprise agreement or whatever it is to allow police officers the ability to turn off their phone and switch off from work. What a great now idea. How, well, a great idea, but... How's the stress that these people are under? And, and one yeah. of the things that's where I was leading there with one of the things that would be leading to a lot of mental health problems, one of them would be stress. And, and the modern day man faces a, a, lot, a lot of different stresses to the ancestral man. If you look at the stresses that they would have been involved in, it would have been things like running from a saber-toothed tiger. We always go for a saber-toothed tiger, but there's probably other predators around. Any predator... It was a brief, real brief moment of stress where they had to, we talked about it last podcast about, you know, utilizing all the resources the human body has to get away from this stress. And it's an acute stress, right? It happens for a brief period of time. You get into the cave, you climb the tree and you calm back down again. And then you get back with your community, you sit down, you know, it's, it's not a constant stress that we have these days where... Every, everything causes anxiety. I know when my phone rings, I, my heart skips a beat often, especially when it's, it's, a, it's a period of anxiety or stress and you know that things are going on. If that phone rings, I'm like, oh, here we go again. What is it? What is it now? What are we got to deal with now? And that's not always during work time. So we don't have that ability to switch off from stress. I mean, cortisol is a, is a pretty big Every, every cell and organ in the body needs cortisol, right? It's kind of got its own circadian rhythm. It helps with waking you up in the morning, increases in the morning when you want to wake up. At night, it goes back down so you can fall asleep. But So, you know, produced by the pituitary gland, released by the adrenals, you know, and it, it's in response to many stimulations that we get throughout the day. And, and the way we perceive those stimulations is how we or how much stress we take on. So the, the modern man is overly stressed and 
you know, we need healthy, healthy levels of cortisol. Of course, you know, it helps support energy, metal, metabolic function. It helps, you know, mobilize fatty acids, glucose, amino acids, those kind of things. We need it. However, if it's, if, if we're chronically, if we have chronically high levels, that is bad. Um, so then we're kind of tapping into our fight or flight response all the time. Like I was saying, our phone rings and we get anxious, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, you know, it, it suppresses immune function, you know, it has a catabolic effect on lean muscle, so you kind of lose your muscle mass. And one of the things it does, the receptors for cortisol have uh, kind of around the abdomen, so it helps you store that, you talked about it in that last podcast, you know, the, the, the old fellow with the skinny legs and the big gut around the beach, yeah. you know, where that accumulation of fat is around those cortisol receptors Ooh. so interestingly yeah it, it messes with appetite and leptin and ghrelin and hormones that you know tell you you're full or you need more food so one of the one of the biggest ones i think is stress these days you know we we can't we can't get away from work we can't get away from the constant stimulation that causes stress and anxiety yeah so i think that's a probably a really big one, you know. And just to back that up, and before you go, Mick, um, just to back up that call you made on anxiety, mate, I just I was reading the other day that in Belgium, a country of 11 million people or whatever, I'm not quite sure when when this figure was obtained, what year, in a country of 11 million people, there are 300 million doses of antidepressants, uh, antipsychotic uh, sort of drugs, sleep, sleeping pills administered in a year. Wow. In a, in a population wow. of 11 million, 300 million doses. And, that, and that's getting back to that quick fix that we've talked about in other podcasts, isn't it? You know? Yeah. And, and the, the, eight, the eight things we came up with, you could use those as stress relievers. You know, barefoot, getting in the ocean. Exercise. Exercise, moving more. Yeah. All of those things Meditation. help, don't they? But, you know, the, the sick care medical system that we go to these days is, you know, we have initially we go straight for those kind of things. Yeah, I, I really liked your your barefoot story. You know, in the last podcast where you, you know you, you had a, a knee issue, and you thought I could have surgery that's going to put me out for two years, or I can look at my biomechanics and fix that fix it with it with continually being functional at the same time along the way. You know, you, two years that you'd be out of work, like you said. Yeah. You know, you, you changed your what you wear on your feet and it fixes your knee, you know? Well, it comes down to do you fix the root cause yeah. or do you paper over it with another fix that hides yeah. the problem? It just pushes things further down the road and then you will confront that further down the road. I think there's a very primal thing in this, isn't there, guys, though, in terms of what we take on as men. And although, although the, I guess, the point of stress has changed... So, you know, Jonesy has just talked there about how the, the stress was a short-term stress. It was it was uh, to do with evading predators or it was the stress orientation of having to look for food in, in, in order to survive and, and, and allow our, our tribe and our family to survive. Whereas nowadays, you know, we're, we're not hunting, well, certainly we're not, but in, in Western culture, we're not out hunting for food for survival, but, but we still need employment to survive. We still take on that stress, I think, as men. Certainly, I feel, I feel a real sense of when things aren't 
when things aren't well within my own family structure, it really, really throws me out as a man. And I guess, you know, for the purpose of today, I'll, I'll share, I guess, a, a small amount on my own sort of um, background. But, you know, years ago when my wife fell ill, it was a really, really confronting period for me uh, as a human being, but as a man, because as a man, more than anything, you just want to know that, that your family are safe, your family are healthy, and that, you know, no matter what, anything else can go wrong, but, but they're, they're, they're the most important people in your life. And so when, when my wife fell ill, and at that time, uh, you know, I, I had a three-year-old and a, a brand-new baby, it was a really challenging time. And I look at the the support structures and things that I had and the, you know, the access I had to uh, quality healthcare, you know, and the awareness I think I had that I needed to put parameters around myself to continue to present into my household uh, in a way that was going to be I guess, supportive of of our family navigating this turbulent time. But there's a lot of people that don't have access to that. And and there's also a lot of men, I think, in particular, who they're afraid. They're afraid to talk. They're afraid to share. They're afraid to show vulnerability. And I think that the other side of that, if you do step into it, is, is a really, really powerful thing. Would you guys agree with that? Definitely, mate, and I totally um, agree with the point that you made that when your family life is good, you're good, and I definitely find that if shit's going on in my life at work or, or other other pressures, if my nucleus at home is sound and happy and my wife and I are, are working together and, and, every, and everything's good, it, my, the rest of it is good. You know, so the rest of my life is... Um, I can manage because I've got that strength at home. Now, in your situation there, when, when, that, when that strength had a crack in it due to, due to illness, you then needed to have to be able to reach out to gain that strength from somewhere else. And so your next best place, I guess, is either your circle of mates or, or your workplace. And often when you do find yourself in that situation, you do reach out, they're often not there. Now, and I'm very lucky that I've got a very close group of, of mates that I could lean on to, you know. But I wouldn't really say that I could lean on my workplace. Uh, I, I wouldn't go there to search for, for strength and support. Uh, my, my first point of call would be maybe extended family and then, then my mates. But it was funny, I was watching Sky News last night and um, I can't remember his name, but there, there was a study just done in, in Australia assessing Australian values and they actually uh, declared that mateship was no longer a, um, a mainstream value that Australians recognised. And this presenter on, the, on, on Sky News, he, he argued the point that it still is alive and well, but I, and, and I disagree with it. I think mateship, depending on how you, you consider mates, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, two, two footy bloke mates getting together. It can be a man and a female mateship. It can be a female-female mateship. Uh, it can be dependent on certain cultures like certain cultures have a value on friendship and mateship but I think that the word in Australia mateship 
has a, a connotation to it. You know, we even just call people mate as a, in a, a term of affection. You know, yeah, yeah, mate, you know. Yeah, all good, mate. Yeah. And I think that having that sort of a, being looked at as eroding away is a sad thing. Because you know, your next point of call other than your family is your mates. And, and, and like we've just experienced over this whole COVID thing, that's, this is why we're here. Now, we, we went through some, some pretty stressful times and we, um, we supported each other through some, some difficult times during, during the COVID thing and pulled each other through it. And, and this is why we're here today. You know, we, we thought, oh, let's, let's turn this whole COVID experience. We, we've been brought together by it. We've supported each, supported each other through it. Let's turn it into a positive and we, we, we thought, let's get together and make a health podcast. But, yeah, definitely understand, mate, the family nucleus often offering the strength that men need. And men showing, I think, showing vulnerability is a strength. I think that touches on uh, what Mikey just tapered off from before, which is that, that balance between the masculine and the feminine. And I think we hear a lot now in society about, uh, I've heard this, this term kicked around, toxic masculinity. Yeah. And I think guys kind of take that on a bit. But I think what people forget is that, both men and women possess both masculine and feminine energy. A man is not all masculinity and a woman is not all femininity. Women have aspects of masculinity and men have aspects of femininity. And I think it comes back to balance. I think we all need, you know, you might look at femininity as being uh, more, more caring and tender and uh, sort of like a nurturing type thing. People think of more masculinity as like, um, like drive and... Uh, desire to achieve things and those more sort of intense energies but I don't think it's like a masculine feminine thing where men are all masculine and women are all feminine we need to have this balance and I think every time we get out of balance is where we sort of go wrong like men need that softer side to them as well we can't be all tough blokey aggressive sort of guys all the time because it's not helpful we need to have a balance but I think we're a little bit out of balance and I think that's in every aspect of our life so if we come back to what CJ was talking about before with regards to, to chronic stress, I think it's different to what the caveman had back in the day where he had short periods of acute stress where he's got that predator chasing him or he's got that hunger or something like that. But he, he quickly overcomes that, but he hasn't got this, this imbalance where he's chronically stressed all the time and his cortisol levels are always high and he's always running on adrenaline. It's this it's this unbalance that we've got now due to our modern lives. And essentially, like we're speaking about this from a male point of view because we're all men, but it's sort of like we're still cavemen and it's like the environment we're living in has, has come forward in the last 200 years at this exponential rate, but we're struggling to keep up with our, with our uh, persona of what a man is and sort of how we're fitting into society. But you know, I, I don't buy into this, this toxic masculinity thing as being like a male problem. I think, I think a female can possess toxic masculinity. And, and yeah. I think, you know, vice versa. But it just comes back to balance. And just if, if you're a man who has a good amount of balance and you have your masculine and your feminine in check, then hopefully you're going to check in on your friends and have some softer discussions at times when it's appropriate. And, yeah, balance is the key. I really Mate, I, I totally agree with you. And, and often a man will try to conceal those more softer sides or characteristics or feminine characteristics of himself. I don't know to to look more masculine because it's weak. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, that's just that's stereotypical. But I reckon deep down, every man, every good man, uh, and especially a father, knows 
the absolute importance of having that balance and having that the paternal and maternal uh, instincts in them. I mean, look at all the four of us, the, the, the love and the care that we've given our kids. Now, you know, I've seen you guys interact with your, your kids. You've obviously got that, that in-check balance. You know, kids need nurturing. And, they, and I've, I've read things that, w- that say that a man in the house, a constant presence is such a benefit to a family's development and cohesiveness and, and especially for the, the kids' emotional development to have that, that father figure in place. And that father figure needs to obviously not be an abusive father figure, like t- tending towards the, the masculine side, but he also needs to have that, that feminine, in inverted commas, those, those characteristics of love and care and communication. I think that's really important. And this was really highlighted to me the other night. I sat down and I told my wife about us um, talking about this and um, I thought, you know, back in ancestral times, there were rites of passage, passages for young men, and they were often rites of passages where they were sent out somewhere, they had to break away from the, the tribe or the community, they were given a task to do, um, which then led them to uh, transition between childhood and adulthood, and then returning back to that community, having achieved that, that task, and then to be integrated into, back into that community. So that... that that ancestral man philosophy of rites of passage seems like really clear and con- concrete. You know, go out, hunt a lion. Uh, you are designated as that hunter. The one who brings back the first strike of the spear to that lion, that in, in the long week celebration of, of us killing that lion, he gets the, the women, you know, he gets the, he gets the ornaments, he gets the garb, he gets all these recognitions and then probably a lifetime recognition as being the, the warrior that killed that, that line or had the first strike and I asked my wife I said we don't really have these rites of passages anymore and you know she said yeah well we do in a way we have you know re- based on religion um you know like ba- ba- uh, baptisms bar mitzvahs uh, marriage even uh, rites of passages in a way we have birthdays you know like your 16th your 18th your 21st graduation you know you have different graduation levels there like a, a rites of passage and you know, sporting groups have sort of rites of passages, which you can look at in sort of negative and positive ways. But she said, she, and she said, look, it doesn't have to be this distinct go out and hunt something sort of rites of passage that, that the ancestral man enjoyed. She said, what you do with our son is a rite of passage. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, his ability to come and talk to you about masturbation, wet dreams, you know, or girls... Puberty. You know, puberty, anything to do with that. Like me and my young boy, boy he's 14. Even mateship, you know. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be sort of that growing up. But yeah, we've had some really good in-depth conversations, my boy. But, and my wife just said that is like an, it's not a specific rite of passage event, but it's a long-term rite of passage that you've created the space for your boy to, to transition, going back to the, you know, the separation transition and the return to community that transition is now a longer sort of period but you've still given him that transition to be from a come from a child to a man Mm. and we can put that in the sort of the modern context and i remember reading this book and i'll just finish off here because i know i'm I'm going off a little bit but um that book um raising boys and there's one called raising girls after reading that book the one thing i got from it and i might have talked to you guys about this is the three levels or three ages uh, of, a, of a young boy. So zero to six, he's mummy's boy. 
like he he's attached to the mother. You know, he's he's obviously just been born. He needs that uh, that um, that care and that that thing that mums can give. You know, that's just pivotal, and it's so important that he receives that in his first six years, from six to twelve. He pretty much wants to hang out with dad a little bit more, and you might have noticed this with your own sons. He wants to hang out with dad. He wants to be in the garden, you know, with a you know, little plastic shovel and just doing all these sort of um, man things in, in a little boy way. But come 13, 14, the boy needs a mentor. So you might find him, and I'm just noticing now this with my son. He's broken away a little bit from me, and I'm giving him that space, and I'll, I'm respecting it, and I love it. And he's now hanging out with his mates more. But the the mentor period of a, of a young man's life is so important. So that means you identifying another man that you trust. So it can be an uncle, it can be a footy coach, it can be a granddad, it can be a, a father figure that you can pass the baton to, to look after your son. And I'm not saying look after him on a daily basis, but to guide him into manhood because the boy doesn't want to really hear from dad anymore and and it's really worthwhile dad's appreciating that and and being aware of that and not not taking it as an insult oh bloody hell used to do everything with me little boy now doesn't want to know me take it as a really positive that you've done excellent groundwork to 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 have developed a young man who can now go out on his own and 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 do his own thing do you reckon that's a little bit of a uh, survival, not survival, but like a developmental sort of thing where because you've done the groundwork when they're younger, they have that confidence to go out and get like a wider range of perspectives on things, which gives them like a more well-roundedness. So they're not just sort of getting all their information about how they work and how they interact with the world from one person, but you've sort of given them the confidence and the springboard to go out and to start seeking out other people who they respect, whether it's a coach or another family member or an, an elder of some sort or, yep. you know, a knowledge elder, where they sort of go out and they're, they're getting like this broader range of ideas on uh, sort of what makes them who they are. And and that's sort of like a good thing in terms of like they're getting like a well-roundedness about them. Definitely, mate. You're giving them more voices to hear from. Yeah. And, and going back to your um, feminine point, Smitty, that zero to six years period of the, of the boy – that I just spoke about, being very close to mum. What an integral part of a young man's development is those first six, seven years where he learns those, those feminine qualities that he, you know, of care and, um, and compassion, um, you know, honesty and, and the difference between right and wrong that, that mums can offer them. What a great foundation for a young man's development. You know? and, and you cannot um, underestimate the importance of that. So mums play an integral the, probably they, they play the they play the first integral role in a man's development. What you've described there Rue, is is quite an ancestral and tribal way of actually raising raising children as well I think it, you know a lot of a lot of the reading that I've done in the last few years through psychology indicates that a lot of um, a lot of tribal family orientation is done in a way that it actually, you know, and we've heard this saying before, but it takes a whole tribe to raise a, to raise a person. And I think that what you've described there is indicative of that. It's, it's more than one man raising a young boy, you know, a, a handover process or a period in time where someone is, is selected 
to take on, you know, that, that integral role in, um, in, in being, you know, the dominant male figure. And I think that's something that, that a lot of, uh, the ancestral tribes would have, would have certainly engaged in. Yeah, definitely. Mate. And has it broken down? We could ask the question, um, because a lot of those old rites of passage, ancestral activities included, like you just said, said Smitty, uh, an elder figure, like an elder figure that had actually done that rite of passage and, and completed it, now is an older member of that tribe and and contributes to the development of the younger ones coming through. And you know, I, I really I really dig seeing in in modern day life, grandparents, particularly granddads, because I'll be one one day, being super involved in the development or the activities of their their grandkids, and and. Therein lies your evidence of that elder, you know, the importance of an elder. And I just, uh, we've talked about this before, I think our society sort of um, doesn't pay enough credence to our elder, our elders, our, our, our grandparents, you know. Well, that, that comes back to, Mikey, I agree 100% what you were saying about it takes a, a village to raise a, a child. But I think it's not just a child that needs like a village or a tribe around them. I think you need that for your whole life in some respect. And I think that sort of structure of like the child, the sort of middle-aged people and the elders, whether that's family or something else, that is sort of like your tribe. I don't think you just need that as a kid. I think you need that all the way through your life. I think you need that as a young kid to get raised. I think you need that community around you of your, your people, your tribe, when you're in the middle part of your life. And then I think you need to have that feeling of, being respected and being part of something when you're old and you've attained all the knowledge and wisdom you're going to attain through your life that I think it's natural that you want to pass that on and sort of give that back to your tribe. But I think the problem is we've lost that tribe, that community connection, and we're also isolated now. Yeah. Rude, like you were saying about this, did you say Minister for Isolation in the UK? Minister for Loneliness. Oh, loneliness, sorry. Yeah. I guess isolation, loneliness, yeah. sort of use them as yes. a, almost an interchangeable term. But yeah. for whatever reason whether it's just modern day society, how we live our lives or the integration of technology or whatever, we don't have enough community, tribe, whatever that is around us to give us that support network, to have that structure in place. I don't think, you know, we're like ants. We need to live in a colony. We don't need to live solitary lives and do everything for ourselves. Yeah. We need to do it as a group, as a community. Yeah. And, and I guess that plague of loneliness, mate, has has led to cracks in our society that have led to depression, suicide, things like that. You know, I, it, it's a sad, it's a sad thing. But I, I just think that the loneliness that people feel, I mean, you know, and look at the last couple of years with with lockdowns and stuff like that. Evidence is coming out now about how those sort of lockdowns really impacted people's sense of loneliness and de- and depression. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I was actually looking at a study before I came in today and it was a it was a review study and that analyzed 33 published papers which were talking about the effects of having social restrictions so things that caused isolation during the lockdowns due to covid and what it found was that overall there was a there was a doubling in mental illness when we had extended social restriction or lockdowns we had a four and a half times increase in depression and a one and a half time increase in stress but most interestingly, it was young and middle-aged people who were the most affected by that. And that's, wow. I mean, a doubling. Yeah. That's shocking. On top of our already terrible stats around mental health. 
Yeah. Terrible. And then if you looked at that even further for men, I think, Mikey, is it fair to say men generally have about a three times worse rate of suicide than women statistically just in general? I've heard that uh, number kicked around quite a bit. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, in the, the figures, the indicative figures in 2020 uh, were that of the 3,300 people who committed suicide in Australia, 2,300 and nearly 90 were men. Yeah. So we're sort of almost seeing like a three-in-one. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think I think that, um, you know, that's something worth exploring. Certainly we, we can acknowledge through the podcast we've had some people reach out to us and... Uh, and you know, show a great debt of gratitude for the fact that they they feel they have stumbled upon something that's offering them an opportunity to connect into, I guess, a community of, of, of like-minded people that, that are offering support to them. And I think that some of the common themes coming out of our experience, the experience of, of, of people connecting with us is that through through that COVID period, there was this extreme isolation. I think for people who were leaning into or exploring not taking the vaccine as a way to navigate COVID, you were very much ostracised. Yeah. Yeah, within the community, uh, certainly for myself, I, I, I felt... I felt ostracised even within my own workplace. And I think a lot of people who were connecting with us felt the same way. I think that they they felt misunderstood. They felt unheard, uh, you know, for just wanting to exercise, you know, a right to choose what they were putting putting in their own bodies. You know, we've, we've seen this in the last 48 hours with... You know, with a pretty major um, court-based decision over in the United States around women and abortion, and a lot of these key stakeholders, a lot of these politicians, you know, are coming out and and rightfully, you know, I want to be very clear on this, um, very rightfully condemning the decision that's been made over there in, in terms of women having the right to make that decision. But what, we, what we're talking about here is, is not unsimilar to the decision that people were making globally around having a choice to take a vaccine the last two and a half years. And I think that it's been very isolating. It's been very difficult to be on this side of the ledger. Uh, I think that had we not had each other through this period, I, I dread to think how life would have been for all of us. Yeah, definitely, mate. Uh, you know, to, to all those people that have found themselves in that situation, you know, that it is hard to, to, to look beyond the present. I mean, I know, and Smitty, you're talking about the lockdowns and all that, and, you know, I, I was vehemently against uh, vaccination. I, I believe that my body is, is, my, is, is my, my last thing that I own in the world, and I should have the right to decide what, what goes in it or, or, or what's impacted on it. I don't think anyone has the right to impose what you do to your body. So I was completely against that from the start. I said, no way am I getting vaccinated to something that I don't know much about. I'm, I'm a bit sus on the ingredients because I did check the, the ingredients um, sleeve on it, 
they looked a bit dubious to me. It, it wasn't trialled as, as extensively as, as I believe, personally. If, I, if I'm going to have uh, something, I would like it to be tested over a period of time. Uh, so I was just against that. But the lockdown concept, and I'll probably be a bit personal here, there were times when I felt the only way out was, was suicide. Like, I honestly hated the fact of being locked down. To me, that, that was just the epitome of taking away my God-given right to freedom. And I live in a free country. Grandfathers fought for my privilege of having freedom. And I thought, who are you, government, to take that away from me and tell me I can't go outside or I can't go and see me mum or I can't go down the shops or go to the movies, whatever. I just found that topic or that, that regulation so difficult to handle. And I remember I've got my own gym at home, so I was working out. And we were locked down again for some short amount of time. And look, in WA here, we didn't experience the lockdowns that Victoria had. I mean, what those poor buggers over there experienced was, was massive, the most lockdown city in the world. I can't imagine what the people went through over there. And, and you know, they don't even touch on you know, loss of uh, businesses and stuff like that, broken marriages. But it was the first day of lockdown. I was doing a workout and I thought, I, I can't do this again. I can't live like this. What, what can I do? And the only solution was like the, the, the suicide word. And, and I would never do it. I would never commit suicide because I've got a family that I, I'm responsible for. And to me, uh, this is touching on a, on a tricky subject, but to me, I find suicide would probably be an easier way out, uh, leaving a lot of pain behind for people that I love. So I would never do that. But it just became, and I've since talked about, talked about this with my GP and even a psychologist that I've seen um, over the past uh, couple of months. And, and we'll get onto that a bit later in, in, in things that we can do moving forward. But I'd totally recommend just having a discussion with a professional because when I did mention to them that the suicide word came into my mind, they said, well, that's a regular thing. It's a common thing that people do think about suicidal tendencies, but they won't actually consider going through with it. But it's a thought that comes through their mind because of that depressive state that they're in. And so I, that made me feel a lot better. And, and of course, I was confident in my, my own fortitude that I would never do anything like that. But it was just something that came into my mind. And I thought, I've never thought about anything like that before. Like, I'm like what, what's going on in my head? And, you know, it got to the point where, you know, and I was so lucky to have a, a, a network to communicate with you guys that we, we helped each other through that. But I just found the whole lockdown concept such a, a, um, a, a, a invasive uh, taking away of my, my freedoms, you know. And it got to the point where I made a little um, uh, saying and it popped up on my reminders on my phone every Monday and I've just kept it in there because it sort of helped me through. And so it just said, can't tip, stay strong. When everything is stripped away, I still have me and I am able so at the time, I didn't really know what was going to happen with my future. But I thought to myself, no matter what happens, and I, I could offer this advice to anyone out there listening who's maybe lost their job or is, you know, um, still in that, that, that present state of, of them not being able to return to work because they're not vaccinated or anything like that. At the end of the day, you've made that decision not to get vaccinated because you pride you, you, take, you value your health and your well-being. So 
that you, you've then made a decision to be, to be better. So you've always got you. That was the point of my message. Like, I will always have me. And no matter what happens, I can always pick up a shovel. I can always do something. And I, I am able. So, and you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a physical ability. It can be a mental ability. As long as we are healthy, we can do anything. One of those little mantras is quite good and reassuring. Maybe Mickey can talk about it as a you know psychological kind of sense. But having having a reaffirmation like that is a, a pretty good takeaway. I reckon one of the first ones we could probably yeah. We're not we're not giving out advice. We're not doctors or anything like that. We're just giving out some personal well, it experiences. Works for me, mate. And and that's right. And and things I've definitely used things like that in the past to get through various situations. Yeah. It's almost like trying to change your internal dialogue or that little sort of voice that we hear. Yep. And and flip it over to the positive. Yeah, and and, yeah. and reassurance that things may not be great now, but they 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 will be in the future if you just stick to your morals and your and I guess the, the psychology of our brains is our, our brain always listens to and pays more attention to the negative mm. voice. You need, we, we need to train our, our minds to listen more and take in the positive voice that, that we can have. And, and I guess that would, you know, relate to, to every aspect of life. Mm. We would be, be more positive beings. Yeah, almost. I think the thing about an affirmation is that the more that you say it to yourself, the more likely you are to become it. And and the science behind that is is all to do with the neural pathways and, and things like that in the brain. And, and the way that I have explained this to people before is it's a bit like if you went running through the mountains and there's a track that's on the mountain and, and that track you know, that's run through may have been run 10,000 times by, you know, 10,000 different people. And so... When you're not feeling great, as, as, as we all haven't, but as you weren't, Rue, and, and, and you wrote that affirmation as a way of, of sort of keeping yourself in check and, and taking, I guess, positive forward steps, the more that you step into that affirmation, it's like running on a new trail. So if you were to run a new trail through on the mountains at the start, it would be fully overgrown in overgrowth and trees and shrubs and all that sort of thing. But the next time you went and run, it would be a little bit more flattened. And then the next time you went and run, it would continue to flatten out. And the more that you went and ran that trail, eventually it would become a completely run through trail, just like the other one. And so those negative neural pathways, I think, are indicative of, of, of the running trail. They're the ones that we need to try and switch off and, and turn, you know, turn towards more positive affirmations, things like you were saying. And the more that we tell ourselves these things, um, the, better off, the, the better off we are. Yeah, your brain can even do little tricks on you. So I, I read somewhere years ago that you need to make those affirmations um, end in positivity. So say, for example... Uh, a, a man might say, I don't want to be a bad father. I, I want to do my best not to be a bad father. All right? Instead of what his brain recognises is the last part of that, kind of, that, that little word, and that's bad father. So yes. although he's got the best intentions in mind, his brain doesn't connect. So he needs to change that wording to, I'm going to try my best to be a great father. 
and you, the brain just connects with great father, not bad father. And so the whole, whole chemistry or the whole process of thinking changes just by those changing of the words. Yeah. It's almost like forming a memory, isn't it? Like when you think about how you form a memory, you're basically using a synaptic pathway and it's a new pathway. And the more you use it, the more that memory is formed. So it's a bit like Mikey's analogy of running the trail. The more you run it or the more you use that pathway, the more that pathway gets sort of lit up and stored. So if we've got a pathway of positive talk and we're using that often, then obviously that's going to become an easier path to run and an easier way to think. There's actually some good programs around. I've used one uh, before. It's an app you can download called Self Talk Plus. And it's developed by a uh, guy who's a, a PhD in, I think, psychology. And it's all about the science of getting rid of your negative self-talk and reprogramming that with more uh, positivity. Because like you said, Rue, I think we're more, we're more adapted to taking negative information. So there's a little app you can get, you download it, and you can basically play little 10-minute programs. And it's just in the background. You're not supposed to actually listen to it. You just let your subconscious kind of absorb it because your brain is doing more than what you're aware of on a conscious level. So you can be doing something in the background. You can be you know, cooking or working out or whatever. And you, you play this little track in the background goes for 10 12 13 minutes and it's basically a track of positive self-talk and it can be focused on any sort of topic you want so there's ones for uh like problem solving or weight loss or exercise motivation or whatever it might be but you play this in the background and it's basically a track of of positive words and positive messages and the theory behind it is if you play it enough then you can sort of help reprogram your brain in a more positive way yeah, wow. and i think stuff like that it's obviously a modern thing. So we're the Modern Ancestral Man podcast. It can be like a, a, a good use of modern technology where, you know, maybe you're busy and you've got stuff on, but you can still have some sort of positive input in the background and your brain might be taking a bit of it on. So, mm. yeah, I've, I've used that with pretty good effect. I think there's something What's that in called? It. It's called Self Talk Plus. Self Talk Plus. I like it. I do something similar to this, guys, which I think is has been really cool, a really cool thing to do and a good connection point with my with my with my kids but my daughter and my son have a meditation uh, when they go to bed each night it's something they've actually become quite addicted to they struggle to get to sleep now if they haven't got a little meditation playing in the background but the last thing I'll say to the kids and my wife and I alternate so normally if my wife does my daughter I do my son and so forth but the last thing I'll say to them before they go to bed is you can have anything you want. You can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. And then I say, what can you be? And then they say, anything. What can you have? Anything. What can you do? Anything. And that's like the last thing I say to my kids before I leave the room. Nice. And Mikey, that's very and, similar to what this podcast does. Extremely similar. Yeah, right. And it even leaves uh, pauses for you to actually think or say the little affirmations that they're giving you. So... Yeah, and I and I do think, you know, like there are times where I think to myself, I just wonder what the accumulative effect would be on those kids at the time that they're 18, 21 years of age of hearing that every single day that they go to bed. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. That's That, that reminds me of that movie Glippoli, the same sort of thing, you know, when the old, old boy was telling the, Archie, the runner, what are your legs? Steel Springs. Yeah. What are they going to do? Help me down the track. How fast can you run? As fast as a leopard. How fast are you going to run? As fast as a leopard. Yep. And let's see you do it. I love that movie. And then that's sort of like that affirmation that you know, he's asking questions and the young man has to reply in a positive 
positive way, you know? It's like yeah. athletes. Sometimes that, they look arrogant, like in the way you see like a boxer come out or some sort of athlete and they are just so positive that you almost look at them and go, look at this cocky. Yeah. But it's that self-belief. It's that amazing positive self-belief of believing they can do something and it's half the battle sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Just belief. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a part of what, what I'm conscious of with it, guys, is that, you know, We've sat here and we've spoken today about what a stressful environment we're living in in, in our Western culture, and it's it's for me it's just a part of my children's resilience building. It's them having self awareness that they can have be and do anything that they want if they're prepared to put in the effort. And you know, it's a simple message. It's it's something that they can take away. And I think that I think it's a great message for the listeners who've contacted us as well about. You know, in adversity, there is there is great opportunity, and that's something that we've we've been really big on with each other. Is that with all the difficulty we went through with COVID, and you know, my, my reflection of that is that at different times we've all been really really good, and at other times we've we've all struggled. And you know, I've I've felt really fortunate that I've been able to speak to you guys individually when you've been having tough times. And and I've also been able to speak to you individually when I've been having a tough time. But through that tough time, we've managed to come together. We've had discussion about, right, what are the opportunities for us here? What can we do? Uh, And that's where we've sort of dived down this path of health and wellness and, and creating or formulating tribe. And I think that's a really, really important thing for people to recognize and identify that, it has been confronting for a lot of people. I think we've also spoken about the fact that there has been probably some friendships and social relationships for, for each of us that have uh, disintegrated or disappeared through these COVID times just through really different beliefs and perceptions on, on what's going on. But I think what we've managed to do is look at this as a really great opportunity to come together with like-minded people, people who who are invested in their own health, um, who, who are passionate. You know, I, I love what Rue was saying earlier about, you know, the only thing that, you know, really matters is health and the thing that he absolutely holds on to like nothing else in his life is his bodily autonomy and, and his right to choose what he does with his body. And I think that there's a lot of people out there like that who, who are looking for groups like this to come together to feel heard, to feel understood, um, and, and in that is great opportunity. And I think, mate, if um, the, the COVID impact, uh, the whole COVID thing, the perfect recipe leading up to it with loneliness and, you know, there was a 75 million adults age 18 to 27 were lonelier than any other US demographic, which is your, your millennials and your Gen Zs. You know, there's other stats of 25% of people in the US report not having a single close friend. So the point of of loneliness created this perfect recipe for this COVID narrative to come out and give those people that felt so lonely a purpose, a purpose in in following a mantra. And and we can talk about impact on the majority of the population of um, mass formation. You know, and that's been a divisive topic, particularly when Joe Rogan interviewed Dr. Malone and they first discussed mass formation psychosis. I think in psychiatry terms, they prefer to get rid of the word psychosis. They just 
refer to it as mass formation. But and, and, and I've since learned listening to some people, um, Matthias Desmond, he's a, a psychologist, and you can listen to him on um, Del Big Tree's The High Wire podcast, which I'd really recommend people have a listen. And he, he talks about mass formation and how that's um, had an impact on, on society. And, and it really made those people already experiencing loneliness, it gave them a new solidarity. It gave them a new um, social bond and it gave them a new direction. So whether or not you believe in all the narrative and directions behind COVID, there is a, a psychological fact of mass formation that governments use and have used in the past, not just now. I mean, history will show certain events in the world where, the, where governments or leaders have used mass formation to, to either divide a society or direct a society down a, a certain path. But that whole loneliness concept gave people a meaning whether or not they believed in that concept or not. And, and so what I'm trying to get at here is those people that, that, that believe that narrative, that succumbed innocently to that mass formation that the media and the government were pumping, they gave up everything that they'd previously once stood for or loved. They, they had a willingness to put the cause before loved ones. And we, you know, we heard during the COVID thing that People were, were dobbing on their neighbours and things like this. This is that concept that 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 part of the population need to fulfil that um that that psychosis. So basically, those that people that were lonely in the first place now had a purpose. So it's like a feeling of belonging to a to a, a an ideology or a tribe or a group or whatever where like you sort of with us or against us. Thanks, Smitty. You is got that, me on the right track. What, is that sort yes. of what you're saying? And and I'm not, now trying to relate this to people that might be listening who suffered really harshly during that COVID period because you may have felt betrayed by f- close friends or family members who didn't who who took part in that mass formation where where you didn't. So they believed in the narrative. You didn't, but those people that believed were so willing to give up everything that they'd once stood for and, and believed, and even though this narrative could be absolute bullshit, they still believed it because there were little cracks in their 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 own men- mental health that allowed them to accept that. Does that does that make sense? It's like our desire to be almost like a pack animal, isn't it? Like we want to belong yeah. and Peer we want pressure. to feel accepted. And there's that sort of peer pressure and there's that loneliness sort of agenda going on. And it's all that stuff that just makes us want to uh, sort of like conform and be accepted. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And to the detriment of people who, who didn't want to be a part of it. You know what I mean? And those are the people that we're talking to, you know, that may be suffering, you know, isolation from friends and family because of their decisions to go against that, that mass formation narrative. But even having the lockdowns caused people to be, no matter what side of the fence you sat on there, those lockdowns caused the, the, a lot of loneliness, severe loneliness. You couldn't get out. You couldn't see dying grandparents. My grandmother died during the lockdowns and at that time we were only allowed five or ten at the funeral or something like that. So, yeah, it was, it was a difficult time. You couldn't, You couldn't bond with anyone you couldn't speak to anyone couldn't get outside couldn't go and see family members yeah it was cruel some parts of it were cruel Mm. people seeing the last minutes of a loved one 
via Zoom or FaceTime or whatever. I just I just find that incomprehensible in a humane world. Well, well death is almost the ultimate rite of passage, isn't it? Death's a rite of passage and yeah. we're missing out on that death process. Yeah. No, people couldn't come to your funeral. Yeah. Family members, in some instances, family members couldn't be there at all if you were dying of COVID. Yeah. You weren't allowed into a hospital. So you've got COVID, you're elderly, you're dying from it. You can't even have your son, daughter, loved ones even come in to visit you. Yeah. It's just the ultimate betrayal, isn't it? Yeah, and imagine the, the spirit of that person passing... The loneliness they would feel having no one holding their hand. I just, it really hurts to think about oh, oh, that. It's terrible, yeah. You know? Yeah, uh, you know, the lockdowns did cause a lot of loneliness, but as we said before, loneliness was identified back in 2017 by the UK Prime Minister to the point where they made a Minister of Loneliness. So there was already, and I blame social media for this, there already was that that massive slide down a loneliness track that, you know, just probably um, exacerbated the effect of COVID the mainstream, and the lockdowns. The mainstream media kind of get into the role that they've played in the whole, not COVID, not just COVID, but probably the last, since that 24-hour news cycle started, mm. I think really was a downhill slope where everything was sensationalist, everything was clickbait. Back when we were young, you watched the six o'clock news and that was the only time you got your news. Mm. Now there's 24-hour news stations. Yeah. And if they're not cycling something new and exciting or clickbaity or you've got to get someone in and it, it, everything seems to be negative. It's yeah. all negative. And it's rhetoric. It's not – remember journalists used to be investigative? Yeah. They yeah. used to go and research something. Yeah. Now it is just a narrative spiel being presented to them from their corporate owners, and they are just a talking head, blah, 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 blah. Well, if it doesn't support what the company that's funding that news outlet, well, you're not going to talk about it. We're not going to investigate it. And that's definitely helped with the negativity of the past, especially two years, but even going previously to that. Everything was negative. We didn't really get any positive news the amount of depression and anxiety that that would have caused having that before COVID even, is, it was definitely detrimental to mental health. And it's a 24-hour cycle, what you're saying. Yeah. So you're yeah, constantly, constantly being bombarded by us. And that's co- going back to that being in chronic stress all the time, that mainstream media and the 24-hour news cycle definitely contributes to that because yeah. at no time are you getting any downtime from wars in U- Ukraine, Pandemics, politics. fires, floods, natural disasters, politics, you know, abortion laws. It's, it's all yeah. in your face all the time. Yeah. And everything seems to be causing sort of an anxious response. It's like you're a boxer and you're just copying a whirlwind of punches. You're getting jabbed oh, all the time. Boom, boom, yeah. boom. You're, you're always getting jabbed with bad news. Yeah. yeah. We, we are not evolved to do that. No. We can take on acute stress. If you look at exercise, exercise is an acute stress, right? So we do that. So that we form that the the exercise or you know lifting weights or sprinting or whatever it might be, and your body adapts to that and gets better for the next time it does it. We rest, we recover. If we don't have the time to rest and recover, and everything is chronic, a chronic stressor, then everything kind of leads downhill. You you can't exercise twenty four hours a day without something bad happening to your body. 
you can't pile exercise routines two, three hours a day over and over again. Your body breaks down. We just need the rest and repair. Mm. And we don't really have that with modern day life, I don't yeah. think. Don't you reckon – so for us, for our family, we actually got rid of our TV a couple of years ago. It was the best bloody thing we ever did, right? Like, because like you say, it's all negative. And it, especially if you're talking about free-to-air TV – you're always getting news flashes or updates or there's a little teleprompter thing down the bottom of your screen giving you information on the latest bad news that's happening. We just got rid of our TV. I got off Facebook and I got off um, – I've never had a, a Twitter or an Instagram account. So I was still on um, Telegram and I was a member of a few groups and things like that. But we essentially got rid of our, our TV. I reckon it was actually the best thing that I ever did for my mental health. Yeah, cool. So I'm not really on top of – I don't know if there's been a natural disaster over in bloody – you know, the backwoods of China or some obscure bad news or an old lady that got half beaten to death in the car park. But at the same time, I feel like I don't necessarily need to be. Like I'm very on top of all the topics uh, that are important to me and our family and I'm selective about the information I choose and the sources that I get it from. But I actually found that one of the, the best things for our mental health and particularly during the COVID, the early in the middle days of COVID where we were all going to die from COVID and it was you know, essentially going to be the end of the world, it was actually really nice to just get a break from TV. And if we decided we wanted to watch something on uh, Netflix or watch a movie or something like harder, then we could always download something. But we just didn't have that urge to, to turn on that TV and just have it in the background always. It's almost like a hypnosis or like a subtle programming in the background. And everyone's saying the same thing and it's not good and it's just negative and it's bad. And I think it's actually quite bad for kids as well. So... Mm. We're very weird, you know. People are horrified when I tell people we don't have a TV. You know, we don't have a TV hooked up to – doesn't have an aerial. We live in a yeah. rural area. So we have a telly that we can plug a laptop into to, to watch things. But in terms of actually getting TV, we don't have it. And people are like, what are you, you got no TV? Like, how do you live? Well, I live very well and I'm bloody happy and yeah. it's actually think, a really nice way to be. I don't think that's as weird as you think it is. I think a lot of, a lot more people are doing that these days because, I, I because so. of the – Mainstream media, the 24-hour news cycle, the yeah. bombardment with, yeah. you know, 1,000 channels with nothing to watch. People just okay, well, I don't need that. Yeah, it's just not a nice, mm. uh, calm, positive way to be no. watching yeah. normal telly. It's not. I've got a good mate and uh, he watches a lot of telly but he just watches sport. Yeah. Really? You can't go yeah. wrong watching sp- yeah. sport. It's, it's the best reality TV there is. Yeah. Yeah. So this could lead us, I guess, into a way – and Mick, um, you, you continue as well, mate, with your point, but uh, Jones, you just uh, initiated maybe a thought that we could sort of start heading down the track of closing this up with just some, some positive things that people can do um, to help their mental, mental state. And, and you just mentioned exercise, Jonesy, mm-hmm. and we've touched on media, but let's have a look at things that people can do um, that are finding themselves struggling – and, and let's and see what they can help themselves with, you know. I think, I think for me, I, I found the term is minimalism. I don't know if anyone's kind of familiar yeah. with that. It's a whole nother podcast. But I found, like Smithy with the TV, I found simplifying my life and getting rid of a lot of, of, a lot of clutter helped just make things a lot easier. You know, you're not worrying about all these other things. Not that, not that we're a big hoarder, but, you know, I'm keeping this thing just in case. Just in case four years down the track I need to use this extra cable or whatever it might be. So minimalizing and simplifying kind of 
all aspects of my life helped, I think. We, we do have a TV, but we don't use it very much. And, and what we do have has purpose and meaning and everything that we kind of cultivate in the house and, and around has a sense of purpose. And if it doesn't, we'll give it to someone else, move it along. That was a big one. Yeah. I have more, but I think Mick wants to say something. There. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, mate. But, yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. We'll share these around, I guess. But, yeah. Mick, you, you, you had something, mate, before I cut you off? No, I, I, I was just saying I think that was a good segue as well uh, into, you know, ways that people can look after themselves. I think that's a great one, Jonesy. I think uh, one that we've sort of touched on um, throughout this episode is is – Rather than look at what you don't have, look at what you do. Look for your tribe. You know, the more time you spend looking backwards, uh, you're not seeing what's in front of you. And so looking to connect with like-minded people, they are out there. You just have to be able to see them. And I think finding your tribe, finding people with similar belief systems, similar value systems, I, I think is really, really important. And I think the other one which Rue touched on earlier, which... On reflection, I, I'm disappointed I didn't pick as one of my one of my presidential uh, uh, points for last week. Was I think everyone should should seek out an opportunity to uh, get some mental health support through a professional. I think that's really really important for everyone. It is, mate, and I have done that myself, uh, and I would recommend to anyone that is sort of struggling a little bit. Uh, with present circumstances, to go and visit their GP and have a chat to them. And a good GP will be responsive to this. Mental health is a massive uh, focus today. So a good GP will help you. And and for anyone that wants to go to their GP, ask them to um, set you up on on a mental health action plan. And that will then formulate a process and and it might cost a little bit of money out of your own pocket if you have to go and see a psychologist but that mental health action plan will incorporate regular visits to the GP it will incorporate some psychologist appointments which you know like I'm, a, I'm an ex-footy player and and I've got a lot of staunch footy mates uh and the thought of going to, to a psychologist is a bit <laughs> come on you pussy harden up a little bit you know but I found it so beneficial to talk to someone and I have since talked to some of the my staunchest mates who are hard dudes and who would be the last person that I would think would go to a psychologist. They've actually sought some help with a psychologist just to deal with shit at work, um, maybe some family issues. And they've, they've said to me that having someone talk to with, that won't judge or pass any sort of... Um, you know, judgment over you and there to listen and offer some strategies and is, is so beneficial and, and I guess that's what you're, you're heading towards. So this mental action, mental health action plan, the end result is for you to learn some strategies mentally that will enable you to cope better to a point that if you keep on with those strategies and you practice those strategies, that your mental health will improve and you may come out of difficult scenarios difficult situations, more healthy and more confident. And then if difficult scenarios present themselves again, you can rely on those strategies and that mental space that you've, you've just entered into 
to fight that new challenge the best way you can. Build so, resilience, yeah. Yeah, and so, so all, the, all the fellas out there that are, you know, blokey blokes, don't ever, don't ever just submit, um, miss out on, on mental health sort of opportunities to just help get your head right, you know. You just, just go in there, you just rattle off. Most often the first uh, appointment will be you just going to town and like just talk and, talking and, and the person there will be listening. But they'll be taking notes of certain things you've said and it's, it's so helpful. So I can definitely from a personal point of view recommend seeking a bit of, bit of help. It doesn't have to be too many sessions, three, four, five, just to get a feel for it. Just to, it could even just be one or two. Mate, I, I really appreciate your candidness there and, and bringing that story forward because that will help a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, cheers, mate. And it's, it's something that I was always ignorant to, mate. Oh, well, you know. We've got a few mates, you know, who would, would maybe an English mate who would probably say that you're one of the Aussiest blokes he's met, you know, and and probably similar to your staunch footy mates, would probably see you as that tough Aussie, you know, not probably not reaching out to someone. And it's great that you have done that. And I'm just on a personal note, I can tell that it has definitely helped you. you it has, mate. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. We've got to break down that stigma of uh, getting help for. For mental health issues, don't yeah. we? Like, if you're on the footy field and you break your leg, there's no question that you're going to go and get that sorted. You're not going to run off a broken leg, and no one's going to, you know, look twice at you for having a physical injury. Well, if you're struggling mentally and, and you need some help, what's the difference? Go get help. Exactly right, Smitty. It's a yeah. it's a mental injury. Yeah, yeah, like a physical hundred percent is. Yeah, and it's something that needs healing, and it's it's yep. probably going to take time. Like a broken leg doesn't heal, you know, instantly. You yep. don't go to the hospital and they fuse together your bone and you you tap dance out of there. You got to go through a healing process. That's right. And it's the same with, with mental health issues. And, and guys are bloody terrible about saying to a mate or whatever, yeah, I'm having a shit day or I'm struggling or whatever. And if you've got a good friend that you can talk to about something like that, then that's fantastic. But if you don't, then, you know, seek or, or either way, seek out a professional, but go and, go and get some legitimate help and, and, and talk out whatever it is that's, that's sort of most affecting you. Yeah, and I often um, sort of dismiss and have a laugh at all these days that we've got now. We've got a day for everything. You know, but there is now, you know, Wellbeing Day, there's Are You OK Day. Okay. And when this first came out, I thought, oh, jeez, another bloody day for something. Harden up, you know. But I think Are You OK Day should be every day, mm. you know. Yeah. But it is a good reminder that there is one day for people just to gut, grasp that concept. But And that's what it's for. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then you try the to adopt started and going forward, doing it every day. Like yeah. just ring up a mate you haven't spoken to for a while and say, how you going, mate? You know, you good? You know, or even just having a beer with someone, say, you know, how's family life? You know, yep. how are you travelling, mate? Are you good? You know, and and hopefully, a man will be able to break his the barrier down and and be open mm-hmm. and and like we said before at the start of this, be vulnerable. Yeah. Having a beer is good for that. Yeah, yeah. Have a beer, have a coffee, catch mm-hmm. up. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to go one step further. Like we're talking about, obviously, uh, you know, looking after our, our mental health, and we're probably talking about depression and anxiety and things of that nature. Let's bloody take it one step further and actually talk about being happy and being joyful in our life. Like, like yeah. doing stuff that actually like lights us up and makes us feel amazing. Great point. Yeah. Like, yeah. like yeah. I think society is so far, you know, I don't want to say so far gone, but we're we're so out of balance in a way that it's almost enough if you're just getting by. Yeah. Let's focus on not getting by. Let's focus on I don't want to use that cliche of like living your best life, but let's do stuff that really lights you up and you really fucking love doing. Yeah. And go out and do it. If you love going for a surf. Make sure you bloody go for a surf every week. 
you love riding a mountain bike, going for a run, going to the gym. Yeah. Bloody yeah, do it because life is short. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know when the next fucking lockdown's going to come or, yeah. you know, you're going to bloody drop dead or whatever it is. Take life by the horns and bloody live it and do shit that actually makes you happy. Yeah. yeah. That's a great call, mate. And often uh, the psychologist thing that I, I learned was that often the things that you love doing will be the things that you will neglect to do if you are suffering some sort of depression. So yep. you will find excuses not to do those favourable things. So I did find myself for a time there not getting in the water surfing as much as I used to. Yep. Something that I love was foregoed um, for some reason. Until that was pointed out to me. So be aware of that, that if you have something passionate that you love, that gives you joy in life, that maybe you notice just drop off of late, then, you know, try to re-immerse yourself back into it because that's why you loved it in the first place. It gave you, it gave you joy. Yep. Mm. And maybe if you can't imagine yourself doing that for whatever reason, you've become a bit depressed or you're a bit anxious and you can't imagine just getting out there and jumping in the car and going for a surf, make yourself a plan of how you can get to going for a surf. Break it down into as many steps as you need to facilitate that happening again. So if you can see a lot of barriers in the way, which often happens when people have sort of mental health issues, well, either on your own or with the help of a professional, sit down and work out a plan and break into manageable pieces of how you can do it to achieve going for a surf or going for a bike ride, whatever it is. So maybe on day one, you're not up to, you know, chucking your board in the car, driving down to your local break and going for a surf. Maybe you'll just, I don't know, wax your surfboard or do something in preparation for doing it overcome that and then next time take one more step and get back towards trying to do that just yeah. always try and move forward if you can in a positive way yeah i think that is, is so, valuable so true smitty because there is a um a thing that um is presented to you when you you do have a chat with someone there's this stressors ladder and so they will ask you ask you to identify an activity that you love or you or that you know say a work for for example the first rung of the ladder is something that you can easily do Okay, like you just said, just get your board out and, and wax it. Yep. You know? Then up those, those rungs of that ladder leads to the 10th rung where you're diving into the water and you're surfing. So it's a gradual process into getting back into something that you love. You're not just immersing yourself straight at rung number 10. You're starting at rung, rung number one and two until you find that comfort zone to step up that, to that next rung. Yeah. But I guess we can't. Forget all those little things. I mean, Jonesy, you mentioned mentioned exercise. Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, all those little individual things that we can do that we've spoken about in previous podcasts that are free. Exercise, sleep, get plenty of good sleep. Meditation. Meditation. Sunlight. Sunlight. Swimming in the ocean. Nutrition. Yeah. Those little things all play a part yeah. Yeah, in your, your overall mental health. Yep. Mick, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think they're all really, really great points. Um, I think that, as we sort of indicated, the eight eight takeaways that we put together in the last podcast are all things that could be could be implemented, um, and and they all fit very well with with the things that we've said today. I think that ultimately you aren't you know we're nothing without our health. It is the most important thing in our lives, and it, it should be treated treated that way. And and I think. Um, you know, the only one that I'd add to that, and I think it fits in really well with with what Maddie was saying in terms of you know really looking for joyous opportunity and and things within your life, is practice gratitude. You know, something that I've implemented into my daily routine is is and again we do this with the kids before dinner is 
we just say a couple of things each that we're really grateful for through the day. Um, and it's a great thing to, to implement in at the start of the day as well, because that's, you know, effectively a way that you're starting your day in gratitude. So there's a lot to be grateful for in our lives. You know, you three blokes are something I'm, I'm really grateful for every day. And uh, I think that that, along with everything we've discussed, sets a really great foundation for people to start taking, you know, really good care of their, of their own mental health. Yeah, great call, Mick. There's a lot to be said about um, pe- gratitude, even people having gratitude diaries, you know, like putting on paper the things that they're, grat- they're grateful for. Yep. That's a really good call. I like that. I might even try that with my family, just sit around the dinner table. And yeah. I bet you if I say to my teenage kids, I say, what are you guys grateful for? I can imagine the looks that I'll get straight away and, until I start explaining a little bit behind it. Yeah. But don't you think part, part of that... And some of those strategies are great that Mickey's come up with, but it all comes back to communication, right? Yeah. Communicating. Yep. And we did talk about tribe. So communicating with your tribe and even communicating with your mate. Oh, look, I'm not having a great day. You want to go and have a beer? You want to have a chat about it? Communicating to your wife, communicating to your kids. There's less confusion, less angst, less stress when people know what's going on. And being able to converse with people is definitely what helped the ancestral man. Yeah. Passing on information. The only way that they knew that bush down there didn't kill them was because three generations before, Bobby ate that one and he didn't make it, you know, and that information gets passed on and it's all communication. Yeah. I think sometimes when things aren't going well at home and things like that or at work, there's a breakdown in communication. And, yeah. and it may be, you know, oh, I don't really want to talk to that person. You know, I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to my wife today. I can't. But if you can just break that barrier of communication, have the back and forth, pass on information, I think that uh, helps greatly. And, and, and those gratitude things you do and Mick and talking to your kids at night, that's great stuff. And that's, it's, it's a conversation starter. Brings everyone together. Everyone finds out how people's day went around the dinner table, which is ancestral man at its finest, really sitting around the campfire. We've got the spoils of the hunt there from the day. We're all having a chat. What are we grateful for? We're grateful for this animal, given its life for us to eat, grateful for you guys as a tribe. And that's, and that's all conversation and, all, and communication. So I think communicating is a big one. Oh, man, communication is a crux to everything in life, I reckon. Mm. Yep. Look at shit that goes wrong at work or in any scenario. If something yep. hasn't been communicated properly, shit falls to pieces. Yep. And it hap- it's, you can relate that same to Same in the relationship. Exactly the right, in, mate. Yeah. Yep. And, and again, Dealing without harping with on it, uh, like social media, because you type something or you read a text and you don't understand the emotion behind what someone's saying. And yeah, face Things, to things face. get mis- yeah. misconstrued. So yeah. without opening up that again. There's no, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's no um, comparison to face to face. Yeah, but you know, for the for the guys out there that are struggling uh, during some sort of times, yeah, communication, CJ, as you say, and communi- it's imperative. Even, even with your GP or your, your psychologist, that's all communication, isn't it? That yeah. only works if you can open up and communicate you know? and show some vulnerability. Yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah, and and know that everyone goes through hard times. Yeah, a lot of the time we we get this image of these. Uh, you know, famous people or whatever and living these great lives and they're jet-setting around and doing all this great stuff. They have shit days as well. They have shit weeks. They have shit months. They have stresses that come and go in their life. 
So you're not alone if you're struggling. There's um, there's times in everyone's life where they they feel down. The important thing is how we move through that and the support sort of structures we use to to access to to help us move through that stuff. I reckon. Mm. Yeah, good call. A few tips today. You know, yeah. Communicating with your tribe, getting out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, be a good way to finish. What do you reckon, Mick? Sounds good to me, guys. Great job. Yeah, good chat, fellas. Yeah. Let's go and have a beer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what we're trying to do here is we're trying to build our ancestral man community and our tribe. So we'll, we'll keep putting these out and hopefully people keep listening and see how we go. Good chatting with you, boys. Good on you guys. Awesome, yeah. guys. See you Thanks. next